If you were listening carefully, you've already got it figured out. <clears throat> Mostly I was. <laughs> you just get the leftover. <laughs> it, is, it is such an honor for me to be here today. Dan's right. We go, we go, we go back farther even than he told you. Back in the mid-1960s, my wife and I and our two little girls moved to East Tennessee, and I joined the faculty at Milligan College. On that faculty was Dr. James Shields, Dan's grandfather. So his grandfather and I taught together. More than that, we, we became very close. They, they, they welcomed us, newcomers from the West. And it hadn't been there very long when... Um, we were gone on a weekend. I was working part-time with Christian Missionary Fellowship. We had to go over to Eastern North Carolina. And while we were gone that weekend, our furnace chose that, that opportunity to, to belch soot and smoke throughout the house the whole time we were gone. When we got back, it was unlivable. Jim and Mary Shields took us in, all four of us, and uh, let us live there for free for well over a week while things were being repaired in the house. And that started a lifelong friendship with them that then continued with the next generation of Shields. And uh, the, the, the truth is, I've known your pastor since before he was. <laughs> and, <clears throat> I wish that, that Jim and Mary could see what I'm seeing with the effect of his leadership here. They'd be so proud. And I've got all kinds of reminiscence that I would love to do, but I was called here to preach. So uh, I, will, I will preach. A, a bonus for me, by the way, in being with you is that uh, the Jay Jones is here. Jay and I also go back to when he was a student. And uh, we, have, we were connected at the church that I served in Mesa and then also at the university over in California. This has just been kind of an old home week. It's been, it's been fun. But I must get to my assignment. <clears throat> I, I work crossword puzzles. It's kind of my anti-dementia program. <clears throat> and uh, June 14th, 2023, New York Times crossword, 32 down, clue. Liberty means responsibility. That is why most men blank it. The word for the blank is dread. That's why most men dread it. It's a quotation from George Bernard Shaw, a well-known play, playwright of a few generations ago. He's wrong and he's right. He's wrong. Most of us don't dread liberty or freedom. We demand it. He's right what we dread is the responsibility of it. And mature people understand that with freedom comes responsibility. Immature people don't understand that. And that's why they dread it. Well, I really like my assignment. I'm to talk to you about uncommon responsibility with freedom. This won't be the most popular series, uh, sermon in the series. I know that. The truth is, it's uncommon for us to willingly accept the responsibility that comes with freedom. But uncommon is exactly what we Christ followers are called to be. The title underscores a disturbing trend in our country. 
this, this growing polarization that we're experiencing, it, it appears that for most Americans, what we want is freedom without responsibility. But I'm supposed to talk to you about freedom <clears throat> with responsibility, responsibility with freedom. Well, what the popular mind is just wants freedom, period. I want what I want when I want it, period. Because you understand, I got to be me. I got to do my own thing. Let somebody else worry about the consequences. I'm going to be free. Now, here's another way of saying the same thing. I, <clears throat> I want my constitutional rights regardless of how my actions will affect other people. Now, it, it is against this abuse of freedom that Paul is writing in our scripture for today. What is uncommon about us? He wants us to understand. What, what is uncommon about us is the responsibility. What is common about us is the desire to be free. So, we Christians are called to be uncommon, to limit our freedom for the sake of others. Now, now since we Christ followers have chosen to be different, we can't expect to be popular, to be understood, to be applauded. We're going against the grain. We are deliberately making ourselves seem weird to others who don't get it. Decades ago, there was a, there was a popular hillbilly song I love to sing. I would love to sing it for you now, but uh, you would not love it, so I'll just tell you the words. <clears throat> it was called Doing What Comes Naturally. It goes like this. Folks are dumb where I come from. They ain't had any learning. Still, they're happy as can be doing what comes naturally. Folks like us could never fuss with schools and books and learning. Still, we've gone from A to Z doing what comes naturally. And it goes on and on and on, verse after verse, praising the easy life, the natural life, the unstrenuous life, praising what we would call today just going with the flow. But going with the flow, doing what comes naturally, is exactly what we Christ followers have chosen not to do. So, we simply don't fit. Now, here's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's from the Apostle Paul. He's, he's dealing with the issue of eating meat that has been offered to idols. Can we eat it or not eat it as followers of Christ? So, what about eating meat, he writes? Meat that has been offered to idols. Well, we all know that an idol is not really a god. And that there's only one God. There, there may be so-called gods both in heaven and on earth. And, and some people actually worship many gods and many lords. But, but, but for us, there is one God, the Father, by whom all things are created and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things were created and through whom we live. Now his argument is, since we know that idols are nothing, we obviously don't have to appease these false gods or try to impress people who do believe in them. So with, regarding, uh, with regard to eating meat, we're free. 
Besides, all our friends, all our friends are eating meat, this meat that has been probably offered to an idol. And so if I go along with them, I'm, I'm just doing what comes naturally, going with the flow. But Paul says we're free to do that. But the word we don't like, but we have a responsibility. Let's read on. However, not all believers know this. Some are accustomed to thinking of idols as being real. So when they eat food that has been offered to idols, they think of it as the worship of the real gods. And their weak conscience are violated. It's true we can't win God's approval by what we eat. We don't lose anything if we don't eat it, and we don't gain anything if we do. In other words, it, it, this whole thing about eating meat, it's kind of nitpicking. It doesn't matter. I sometimes think it's fair, though, to say that we can gauge our own maturity in Christ by the size of the nits we pick. Just what we think is important and what we don't think is important. In this case, since the issue bothers some people, that is, should I eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? Well, we want to think about it. A little background might be in order. We're talking about an era in which, well, people hardly ate meat at all. It was not, to, it was not at every meal that they had meat. It was a big deal. And uh, uh, much of the meat that would be available in a meat market was meat that had, in fact, been um, dedicated to some god. And the reason for that is there was a belief in this period that uh, there are demons about and spirits about trying to get into us, as it were, take over us. Now, the easy way in, of course, is through the mouth. And so if they could ride, as it were, the meat into our mouth, they could gain access to us and maybe control over us. So it was a custom among the people to dedicate the meat to a good God who would protect. It was a simple matter. You go to the meat market if you, if you want, to, or you're putting on a feast if you want, and if you're starting from scratch, you, you, you slaughter the animal, you give a portion of the animal to the gods on the altar. Not very much. Just It was really a token. Um, maybe some hair from the forehead. Maybe a little bit of, of, of meat. And that's it. Then a larger portion was, was uh, given to the priests. They, they ate quite well. And I've always been... That part I'm, I'm impressed with. I, I think you ought to feed religious leaders very well. But that's not in this scripture right here. And then... And then what was left was, was uh, for the family. And then what is left over after all of that went to the meat market. So it was almost impossible to buy meat that hadn't been uh, dedicated to some um, God. And, and then you're labeled by participating in the eating of the meat that was dedicated to that God. Well, why did all this matter? One reason that mattered is that the, the buyer did not know in buying for sure. And the participant in the banquet did not know for sure. So one's witness was affected. Well, should I as a Christian eat? Should I eat this meat if in doing so, I'm appearing to believe in this, this demon or this God? Am I participating in some kind of idolatrous act by eating this meat? This, this sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it? 
it's a kind of a routine, everyday activity. But we want to think about what, what it means. So here, a couple of questions. One, what does the way I use my freedom to eat or not to eat say about the kind of God I believe in? Because the truth is, I behave, I, I behave the way I do because of the God I believe in. Here's an uncommon statement for you. I believe in God, not God's. I believe in the living God, not some man-made object or some other spiritual being. So, believing in the God that I believe in, I know it doesn't matter whether I eat this meat or not. I'm free to do it. As, as Paul says, it's true that we can't win God's approval by what we eat. So, God knows what I'm up to, and he's left me free to do what I want to do. Now, what governs, what governs me at this point? Since I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Regarding uh, eating, Jesus dealt with the same issue in Matthew 15. Some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jeru to, to Jerusalem to see Jesus, and they had a nit to pick, and here it is. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition, for they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. And that, you've probably even seen pictures of this. It was, it was expected of every faithful, God-fearing Jew to ceremonially wash hands before every meal. Jesus' disciples didn't always do that. The Pharisees, who really knew all of the ins and outs of the law, caught them at it and demands an explanation from Jesus. So Jesus says, don't you understand yet? Oh, I, I should say before that, Jesus kind of gets back at them because there was another strong tradition that they were violating, and that is it was, a, it was culturally appropriate for adult children to care for their older parents who needed help. And Jesus pointed out that some of them were actually taking the money that should have been used to help the parents and um, used it to gain, uh, I guess I would call, um, extra points by dedicating that money to the temple or to some religious purpose. I'm just a parenthesis here. I've now reached the age where I take very seriously that tradition of taking care of older people. We, we, in fact, we now, we, we take it so seriously, my wife and I have moved in with our kids so they could do a better job. It, it's a <clears throat> so, uh, Jesus talks a little bit about this, and then he says, getting to, getting to the point, don't you understand yet, anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak, the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Seems to me I've spent a whole life trying to decide what is important and what isn't important what I ought to be concerned about and what I shouldn't be concerned about. And Jesus hits this right between the eyes here. You, you can't, you can't um, congratulate yourself 
on your adherence to rules and regulations because, because uh, discipleship following Jesus is not about rules and regulations and rituals. And it is certainly not a yardstick by which uh, I can prove that I'm more uh, spiritual than you are. I'm somehow better than you are. No, so here's the question for you and, and me. What does the way I use my freedom say about me? About the kind of person I am? Now, the scriptures are pretty clear in calling us from self-indulgence to love of our neighbors. Paul's dealing in our assigned text with the issue that seemed quite remote from us. We don't talk about meat offered to idols. But he's also talking about something that's very, very close to the heart of our faith. And that is loving our neighbor. So how, how do I love my neighbor? I really love what C.S. Lewis has said. And, and I think it's very good advice. I don't know whether somebody asked him this or he just wrote this, but uh, these are his words. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. And I know that <laughs> that's a bother for a lot of people because we hear this all the time. Jesus teaches us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And the question is, what I don't even like my neighbor. How do I do this? And C.S. Lewis is saying, don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, he says, we find that one of the great secrets, when you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Powerfully good advice. Well, we can congratulate ourselves that we don't worship idols, and yet, and yet, we do. Listen, listen to the news reports. The idol of of money comes up all the time in, in, in so many ways. Many of us, actually, we won't admit it, but we worship money. We want the power that money gives us. Other idols? Sex. Celebrity. Prestige. Power. Control. Look at our political heroes. And... Uh, their worshipful followers. Look at the media models and their worshipful followers. Look at our behavior. And you'll understand why God, at the very beginning of the Ten Commandments, says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Because there are so many other gods that are available. And so many of them want our attention. And and so many of us, even if we think we are following the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, really, truly let other idols control us. Hmm. Remember the common belief system that uh, Paul is dealing with here? Protect yourself from demons, from spirits, by dedicating your meat to an idol. No, Paul responds to that by saying so succinctly, do not be idolaters. In fact, you understand, freedom itself can become an idol. If it stands between me and you, if it stands between me and God, if it stands between me and my neighbor, 
I very well may be guilty of idol worship. So here's Paul again. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptations to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way, a way out, so that you can endure. So, my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. (laughs) You understand? God sets us free but not free to be irresponsible. No, I want what I want when I want it for Christ followers. That's the attitude of the spoiled child. It's the attitude of the spoiled adult. How how many of you remember those, those teen years when you were stretching and trying to find your limits and the limits that you were allowed? Resented, resented your parents because they demanded that you'll be in at a certain hour, that, that you tell them where you're going, who you're going to be with, what you're going to be doing. And you thought it was all about curtailing your freedom. No. In fact, I realized when I was young, I wondered how old do I have to be to get my way? I'm still wondering. <laughs> because when I leave home, I report to my wife where I'm going, who I'm going to see, what I'm going to be doing, and when I'm going to be home. And then I have to walk from our basement apartment up through the kids' living area. And as I walk through, where are you going, Dad? (laughs) I'm not old enough to be irresponsibly free. And you know why? It's not because they want to curtail my freedom. It's because they care. And I tell them, because I care. And I don't want them to worry about me. I I want to be free, yes. But I want to be responsibly free. You know these wonderful words of uh, the church father, Augustine. He said, once for all then, a short precept is given you. Love and do what you will. You see, is my freedom all about me? No. It's all about them. No. But it is more about them than it is about me. So you and I, because we've been following Christ for a while, may feel that we know what is right and wrong, may see things differently from a younger brother or sister, and may may demand our freedom. But our freedom, Paul says, our freedom can hurt them. As a parent who loves his kids, I gave up a lot because I love my kids. As a result, I became a different person than I would have been if I hadn't had them and if they hadn't expected my love. So, we curtail our freedom for the sake of those we love. So, here's Paul warning be careful. We don't want our exercise of our rights to hurt others. So he says, if what I eat causes another believer to sin, I will never eat meat again as long as I live. For I don't want to cause another believer to stumble. And here's here's what makes our walk with Christ so uncommon. 
Now regarding your question about food that has been offered to idols. Yes, we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. Anyone who claims to know all the answers doesn't really know very much. But the person who loves God is the one whom God recognizes. Years ago, I was a senior in college. During orientation week, as the students were arriving, I was out on the sidewalk checking out the incoming prospects. <laughs> and there was this, this beautiful woman. <laughs> I didn't know then that she would one day turn into a great-grandmother. We lived together 63 years. Pretty wonderful. But what I did to her, she didn't think was all that wonderful in the beginning. Because we got married the, the week I graduated from college. We got married four days after I graduated from college. And she congratulated her, herself on her wisdom in marrying a man who had completed his college education. I showed her. <laughs> I went to college for ten more years. <laughs> during which we were as poor as church mice. At the end of that time, I had accumulated four diplomas. My loving wife matted them, framed them, put them on the wall. I, I really like those the, the diplomas because each one of them said the same thing. They said, as of this date, this man knew something. <clears throat> that was so long ago, I've taken them down off the wall. I don't know that much anymore. But I just mentioned, I've been married 63 years. I've been going to school for 63 years to learn how to love with the love of Christ. And you know what? I still don't have a single diploma on my wall. It's so much harder than accumulating knowledge, this thing called love. And yet, and yet, Behind all these verses that we've been looking at together is this imperative to love. To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. To love your neighbor as yourself. To love one another. I'm still, I'm still trying to get it. So Paul, yes we know that we all have knowledge about this issue. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens this church. I think I understand what he's getting at here. I, I'm afraid of smart people who are only knowledgeable. People who know all the answers I've learned can't be trusted to use that knowledge lovingly. I'm afraid of people who boast of the freedom that they do what they want, when they want, wherever they want, to whomever they want. People around those people get hurt bad. Here's how a young man explained it to me. He wrote me a letter after we'd had a conversation about this. He said, the way I figure it, if I live a moral life and take care of myself and don't hurt anybody else, I don't have any responsibility for anybody else. Let them take care of themselves the same way I take care of myself. 
except that maybe they can't. I was so proud to be here to hear the report from Uganda and what you people are doing for others on the other side of the planet. You don't have to do that. You're free not to do that. But some kind of love is compelling you. That's what Paul is talking about. Because that's, that's how love acts. Back during the Civil War, when the Battle of Shiloh, one of the fiercest battles of the war, was at its height, President Abraham Lincoln left the White House, went to the War Department to see how the Union side was doing. When he walked in, there he found a brother and sister-in-law of General Lew Wallace, who was in the thick of the fight. And when he walked in, the sister-in-law said, oh, and the sense of relief was evident in her voice. She said, we had heard that a General Wallace was among those killed, and we were afraid it was our Wallace, but it wasn't. Ah, uh, Mr. Lincoln looking down on her face with his sad eyes, said, but it was somebody's Wallace. See, Mr. Lincoln was the president of everybody. Now, as president, all kinds of things he was free to do and not do. Not everybody was his concern, except, except that it was. He chose to be responsible for the whole of the American people. Back to that crossword puzzle, New York Times, Wednesday, June 14th, 2023, 32 down. Liberty means responsibility. That is why most men dread it. Liberty means responsibility. Where did George Bernard Shaw get that idea? I think indirectly from today's scriptures. Freedom, liberty, indeed means responsibility. And here's Paul's argument in a nutshell. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Don't give offense to Jews or Gentiles or the churches of God. I truly try to please everyone in everything I do. I, I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so they may be saved. Have you caught on? It's not just about me. It's, it's about me and them and mostly about them. Father, this is not an easy lesson. <clears throat> this is not an easy way to live. It would be so much easier to go with the flow. Do what comes naturally. But, but you've called us to love one another. We're taught that love is of God. Well, we believe there's one God and you're it, and we want to be like you.
So help us, Father. Help us. Not to indulge ourselves in our freedom, but like responsible disciples. Teach us, show us how to love with the love of Christ. Amen.